Hello, I'm Bruce Tolgan, author of The Art of Being Indispensable at Work, just published by Harvard Business Review Press. And this is The Indispensables, a podcast featuring conversations with real go-to people who stand the test of time in the real world of work. What makes them tick? My guest today is my old friend and longtime client, Janet Altman. Janet is a rock star in the world of accounting and consulting. She has been a leader at Kaufman Rawson, one of the top firms in the world for a long time. And Janet explains how she has become one of these incredible, indispensable go-to people and how she leads her team to be a go-to team of indispensables at work. I am thrilled to welcome here uh, a longtime client and friend, Janet Kyle Altman. Uh, I don't want to get her introduction wrong, so I'm going to read it. Uh, Janet Kyle Altman is marketing principal for Kaufman Rawson, one of the top consulting and accounting firms in the country. Two decades at the firm, plus prior marketing roles at Fortune 100 companies, provides solid perspective on managing marketing teams in a variety of evolving industries. Her success is based on her ability to balance two roles, a strategic partner to firm leadership and a supportive manager of her team. She's a frequent writer and lecturer on topics related to marketing, management, and women's leadership. Janet, welcome to The Indispensables. Thank you very much, Bruce. It's great to be here and great to see you. Uh, great to see you too. Uh, so I, I'm I'm thrilled to have you here because you know I've I've uh, worked with you long enough to know uh, that when I ask people at Kaufman Ross and uh, who are the go-to people, you are always on the list. And um, uh, and and we've gotten to know each other uh, over the years well uh, well enough that uh, you have this incredible energy that shines through. Uh, and I want to introduce you to the rest of my world. So, uh, so hello. Hello. So let me ask you, uh, we've talked about being a go-to person and being one of those indispensable people. What do you think is the secret sauce when you think about your go-to people? What is it in your mind that makes somebody one of those go-to people? I think the most important thing for me when I think of my go-to people, and you're one of them, is the ability to look at the big picture and not get overwhelmed and intimidated by the steps that it will take to get to that goal. So for example, um, recently I was um, in a position to recommend to my firm what we should be doing um, as a result of some of the protests and the issues that are coming to the fore about social justice. And I knew the person that I should call who would help me recommend what to do for my firm. Um, a woman that I know who runs the YWCA here, a woman named Carrie Ann Royce, who happens to be one of the smartest people I know, but also the most strategic in that recognizing the goal, he recommended what we should do in a way that was easy for me to sell inside my firm was going to be effective and it would work for us from where we are now. So not, oh, go out and march on the streets, oh, write a big check to do this and that. It was, 
you need to learn some things. And here is a program that we're offering that will help your firm to learn about this. She was my go-to person on this issue, not just because it's an issue she works on, but because I know that she's the sort of person who would look at the whole picture, understand what we needed, and give us something that was manageable for us. So um, I like that because it's, it's not just expertise, right? Uh, expertise is important. Sometimes when people think of the go-to person, they think, well, you know, you got to go to the person who's the, the greatest expert. But I, I, I hear that you're focusing on more of a strategic mindset also and a big picture uh, view. And, and is that partly like what fits for your firm or is it what's doable or is it what's really needed or is it all of that? When I think of people who are the most strategic and when I try to be strategic when asked for something important, I always try to begin with the end in mind. And, you know, we all quote Stephen Covey about that, but it's really important to think, okay, where are we trying to go? What are we trying to do? You know, in that particular instance, one of the things we were trying to do was not make it look like lip service, not make it look like, oh, we're doing this for a marketing reason. We're not doing this because we care because we are doing it because we care. We know we need to do better. And I reached out to the person who would help us do better, not to the person who would make it easy. And when someone asks me for something important like that, or more likely when I see that we need something important like that and go looking for it, that's the kind of person I want. That's the indispensable person I'm gonna go to. She's the only person that I would have called for this because I knew that she would have the big picture and match the uh, solution to the problem that I had. But it also sounds like you're, um, what you're saying is there's a, a, a level of authenticity and a level of, I hear integrity um, is, is somewhere in there, that integrity, um, not just because this is a matter of social justice, but integrity as a, a central theme and who you would go looking for, how you would approach something. Yeah. And, you know, it's not, this is a particularly um, important issue and integrity is, is key to finding our place in, in making things better. But even if you think of issues that are not about changing the world, which is really very, very important and hard to do. If you think about issues that are more internal to business, more focused on, you know, getting, um, getting to the business goals or achieving the next sales numbers, all of that. The people that I look to are people who don't get stuck in the details, people who think about what's the goal and what's the best way to get there. And that strategic mindset, I think also has to be coupled, particularly now since we are all so potentially overcommitted, it needs to be coupled with the ability to know what's important and the ability to be agile or nimble about picking the right path, knowing where the goal is. So if you say, we're going to do everything that's on this list because someone said we should do everything that's on this list and that's why we're going to do it and it's on the list. That's not the kind of person I would think of as indispensable. It's not the kind of person that I would go to with a big strategic question. It's the kind of person that I would delegate some of the tasks to. But the go-to people are the people who think, 
is this the right thing to do right now? And what should we be doing instead? Or what should we not be doing so we can do this if it is a really high priority? And how those things fit into the bigger picture. When it comes to the people you admire, what is it that they bring to the table? What, what makes somebody a person who, whom you would seek to emulate or would want others to emulate? Well, you know, I just told you a story of something that happened two days ago. I was going to say yesterday, but it was two days ago. But let me tell you a story about that something that happened back, 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 back at the beginning of my career. Uh, because my first job experience showed me very clearly who the people are who I wanted to follow and who the people are who I needed to leave behind or um, not choose to emulate, let's say. So my first real job um, was a job that I got by looking in the newspaper and finding a, a placement agency. It's a long time ago. And it was a job at CBS in New York. And the job was called Product Line Assistant. So I'm a marketing person, didn't know I was yet then. I thought I might be, but who could tell? Um, but it was a job that the placement agency sent me to and, and, and the woman there said, oh no, you'll be perfect for this. You have two bosses. One is named Jerry and the other one is named Janice. And I said, okay, you know, I'm a kid. What do I know? I go to work, I go where they tell me, I walk in the door. And um, the first day I met Janice. And Janice was somebody who I think of often and actually recently reconnected with as someone that I really admired because I walked in, she gave me a really good big picture of what the business was, which is always a good start, and some understanding of how we would work together and what I needed to do. And she said, tomorrow or maybe the next day, you're gonna meet Jerry. And you need to be prepared for this, but I really can't explain to you how to prepare. So Jerry comes in. So Janice is a marketing person. Janice is a marketing person. She explains the market to me. She explains the products to me. She tells me what we're doing and why we're doing it. And we were doing some really fun kind of breakthrough things with um, educational software. And she told me what my role would be. Jerry's the sales guy. So Jerry was out selling things. What he was selling was textbooks because the software we were doing was going to at some point replace textbooks to some extent but first we were selling textbooks so he had been out on the road and he runs into the office his coat is dragging behind him he has his suitcase with him um, and a bag full of sample products and he throws it all on the floor and he says get me a tuna fish sandwich that was my introduction to the sales guy did he and want he went, you to get him a tuna fish sandwich absolutely because I, he didn't know who I was, but he knew I was sitting at the desk in front of his office and he was hungry. Okay, so the difference between the two of them, and it wasn't just that one moment, the difference between the two of them was Jerry had a long list of things he needed to accomplish and he was going to try and figure out how to plug in whoever was sitting in front of his office or moving around the planet to help him get those things done. And one of the things was the tuna fish sandwich and another one was a whole bunch of phone calls and he was running as fast as he could to get as much done as he could because he figured there was a goal somewhere out there and it had a number on it. Whereas Janice was looking at the strategic big picture of what the company was doing and that it had sold an awful lot of textbooks and it probably still would, but we were blazing a trail with an innovative product that was gonna change education. And so I should know about that in my first week and I should know where we were going and what we were going to do. So my point in telling this very old story is I run into people like both of these people all the time. 
And while um, some of the techniques are different now, and some of the digital tools that make it easier to do things on both sides of this story are different now, the personality of being the go-to person who is strategic and thinking of the big picture and marshalling her resources and sharing transparently what you need to know so you're working on the important things, not the tuna fish sandwich things, um, that person is the person that I want to follow, that I want to spend my time with. That's the person that I have aspired to be for the last many decades. And that's where I see that whole idea of being the indispensable in your book as mirrored through the people that I've decided I want to be with in my career. And that's somebody who all these years later you want to reach out to again. Yes. Yeah, so, so I hear two things there that, that um, are, are making me really uh, curious. One is that Jerry's running around like crazy. You know, there are people who the way they conduct themselves is, um, you know, they're the busiest person. They might even be working harder than others. Uh, they might be working longer than others. Uh, they might even have more to show for it today than someone else. Uh, so that sort of harried, juggling, scrambling, outworking everyone, uh, and 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 a sort of self-importance that goes along with it, uh, versus the person who is measured, calm, and and methodical. That that's one contrast I'm hearing. The other is just how each of them treated you and how. Um, Jerry was not treating you with respect, but was treating you as an instrument, whereas Janice uh, was treating you like a, like a person and treating you with respect. And I'm not sure if those are related, but both of those shine through in, in your story. And I think they're, you know, the reason I'm so interested in, in those, the nexus of those two issues is that I find that people who often they want to be indispensable and that's why they're so darn busy. But when they're so darn busy, somehow that has a negative effect on their relationships. Um, so it's a little bit counterintuitive, but they're trying so hard to be valuable that they make themselves so busy that they uh, are unable to get things done properly, but also it leads them to not treat people very nicely. In that example, yes. And in other examples, it leads them maybe to not treat themselves very nicely. Um, you know, so there are people that I work with now who always take on the biggest load and who always, you know, when we look at our tasks at the beginning of the week, um, the person who has the most tasks um, is always the same person and always someone that we really respect, but doesn't have the space to use the strategic part of her brain, which is really important as well. So I spent some time uh, recently with her talking about the fact that taking on more tasks is not necessarily her best choice. And we had one of those really good conversations because her answer to me was, well, yes, and I've told you we have too much. And I said, yes, I know. You've told me we have too much. So let's figure out 
not just how to keep talking about how much there is, but how to prioritize it, how to get other people to stop giving us so much work, how to strategize together to solve this problem. Because the, the conversations we had been having weren't the right conversations. And I was really, I, I was up in the middle of the night before I had this conversation with her thinking, how am I going to make this the right conversation? Because it wasn't about, oh, come on, stop taking on so much work. I know there's too much work. It was, how are we going to figure out together what maybe you've been telling me for a while, but how are we gonna solve it together, not talk about the problem over and over and over and over? That's really interesting because if you're drowning, how can you be strategic? And if you're drowning and all you're saying is help, 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 and nobody's hearing you, there's a problem on both sides of that, but there needs to be a different way to say, help me. And, and that was an important part of our conversation. Yeah, and I think, I wonder if um, some people, they take on so much, of course, because they're trying to prove themselves. Sometimes people take on so much, maybe that it's not just they're trying to prove themselves, but they're trying to prove a point. Like, don't you see how impossible this is? And I, and I, and I wonder if sometimes, uh, because there's indispensable and there's indispensable, right? Some people, the way they try to be indispensable is they never say no. They take on more and more and more. They're determined to outwork everyone and juggle, juggle, juggle. And, and uh, my emphasis has been that makes it very hard for them ultimately uh, to avoid relationship conflict at work. Uh, but, but what you're saying is, uh, I think, maybe the missing piece, which is that what's really missing there is a strategic view and a strategic approach. I think that's a really important point. And I think that the other point in this example is that it was a mutual responsibility, not just for me to stop and listen, but for her to think about how we were going to talk about this. For her to think about how we were going to solve it with me, for us to talk about how we were going to solve it, not that it was a problem. Because my previous answers to her saying, there's too much, there's too much, there's too much, had clearly not solved the problem. So one of the things that I think a go-to person needs to be able to do is recognize when a strategy isn't working recognize when an approach is not the right approach because it's not solving the problem and be able and willing to say, oh, maybe this way will get me to the better answer. Yeah. And so sometimes the reality is you know, I've had two conversations in the last week where the, the issue of overcommitment is one in which lives are on the line. And so with the resources you have available, you have to decide sometimes who's going to live and who's going to die. And, um, you know, it makes me very grateful that the work I do is not life or death. But, you know, in marketing, uh, there's always too much to do and not enough time. Uh, usually lives are not on the line, let's hope. But it's not the case that you're going to be able to make, make it so there's not too much work, right? There's going to be too much work. That's going to be, no matter what, there's going to be too much work, right? No matter what, there's going to be too much work if 
we keep saying yes to everything. And one of her points to me, which maybe she had said before and I hadn't been listening well enough, was I know we're trying not to say yes to everything, but we seem to be saying yes to an awful lot of things. And to suggest that in specific segments, so we work with different industry teams and different industry teams have different needs and they don't know what everyone else is asking of us, right? They, they don't know that Joey down the, down the hall has already asked us to do something that really keeps us flat out busy for the next week because they need something that's gonna keep us flat out busy for the next week and how do they know? They don't know. But she made the smart uh, recommendation that once we meet with each of these leaders, which we were actually planning to do in the next few weeks, we document what we agreed to do and we get them to sign the document and we create an operating agreement that this is what we're going to do for you during the next period of time. And we have to decide what that period of time is. And if you decide there's something else that you want, we're going to talk about what we take off the list to put something else on the list. And it's the only way that we're going to be able to control the list. So it's a very smart idea. We're going to implement it and see how it works. The fact that we had the right conversation to get to that idea and maybe should have had it sometime sooner um, makes me hopeful that both of our um, qualities are going to come through and help us be indispensable to the firm because we, we have different strengths and they work together well when we work together well. Yeah, so let me ask you a question. Does does it worry you as a service-minded person, as a, as a business-minded person, does it worry you when you have to say no? Or how do, you, how do you handle that? The important thing when you have to not agree to do something someone wants when they want it the way they want it is that you think about all those parts, right? So... If someone comes and says, I want to write a blog about the color blue that is on your backdrop, because I think that it's really important that our clients learn about the color blue, then it is very easy to explain. That is not something strategic that we should be doing. Let's talk about what it is you're trying to achieve, the audience you're trying to reach, and what we're already doing that might reach that audience to educate them about the importance of using the right color blue, whatever the example is. If I understand why someone wants, wants to write a blog, the 13th blog we've written this month about um, how to manage the paperwork for your PPP loan, for example, and we have 12 others that already cover most of the issues, I want to know why there needs to be another one. And if there doesn't need to be another one, but that person has a personal need to be part of this marketing process for any number of really good reasons, is there something else we're already working on that they could help with and maybe get their name on too so that we achieve their goal without adding more to the workload that isn't necessary? If something is a high priority because it is really important and it is meeting a strategic goal, I'm going to figure out how to get it done and what we don't do because the other thing, this new thing is more important. If something is a high priority to you as an individual requester because you want to be doing something while you're sitting at home working from home and not feeling like you can be out in the community and not doing what you used to do to build business, right. maybe I can channel that to something that I think would be more effective. 
So that might be a case where um, what you're really, that's what you, you're getting at when you say understanding the end, the goal, the objective is critical uh, in the big picture to being able to make strategic choices and give good advice. And in, in, in this case, it sounds like, hey, maybe there's a smarter way to do that that leverages a repeatable solution or that leverages something else that's already in process. Yeah, I'll give you another example. Um, one of the things that, of course, people are very um, energized by these days is the fact that they can do webinars. We started doing webinars at the beginning of this pandemic, and it was very, um, it was very energizing for our professionals and for the business development team to be able to get out in front of the marketplace and show what we can do to help because people were hurting. And that was great. So the first couple that we did, we did them um, in a rush. We did them learning as we went. Uh, and we invited everybody in our database to attend all the first two webinars. Now, a lot of people RSVP'd and a lot of people attended the first one. Second one, fewer, but still a good group. But inviting 74,000 people to a webinar is not necessarily the best use of marketing, not because it costs more to invite 74,000 people, but the more times you invite someone to something they're not interested in, the more times they're going to delete your emails after that. So right. there's a reason not to tell everybody about everything all the time. So the fourth webinar that we did, I think it was the fourth one, um, I said to the professional who was now working in our, as you say, consistent repeatable process to do the webinar and not try to do it in three days, but to take the proper 14 days we put on the schedule to do it, I said to him, so Mike, who would you like to have at this webinar? And he said, well, why don't we just invite everybody? Isn't that what we did for the last ones? And I said, yes. And that's why we're not going to do it this time. We're going to invite the people that you think are the best prospects, the people who have the need you're going to talk about, who are those people? And so that's what we did. So instead of inviting 74,000 people, we invited about 30,000 people. And we got about the same number of attendees as we got to the one before when we invited all 74,000 because we were talking to the right people. And so we saved ourselves a lot of wasted email and a lot of delete, delete, deletes by thinking strategically through the process. So uh, this is an example of what I call helping somebody fine tune their ask, uh, using good due diligence practices to ask the right questions and help somebody make, make their ask uh, more focused in, in ways that demonstrate that you're uh, respecting their needs and ultimately giving them a much better yes. Because you ended up saying yes, but you ended up giving them a much better yes that led to smarter work and a better outcome. Yes. And while, um, while I said yes, I didn't say yes, but I said yes and. Yes and who should we really invite? Yes and when does it really need to be? Yes and are you sure you're ready to do it this week? Because it would be better if we did it next week and followed the process. And the value that I'm adding isn't anything. It, I'm not telling them things they already know. And I'm not saying, boy, you're stupid because you didn't think of this. I'm telling them things that I know. I'm telling them things that the marketing department knows. 
I'm demonstrating the indispensability of the function because that's what we're here to know. That's what we're here to do. We're here to say, yes, I understand what you're trying to do. And let's talk about the best way to accomplish that. Not yes, 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 whatever you say, yes, yes, yes. Oh my God, I'm overwhelmed. But yes, I get what you're looking for. Now let's figure out the right way to do it. So you're, you're tuning into their ask and really saying, hey, help me help you. Uh, so that, that, that's a great example. And, um, and, and what I love about it is that even the way you tell the story, it, it demonstrates respect for the business need, respect for the person. It, it demonstrates your expertise um, and a sort of methodical engagement with the need in a way that ultimately, if you're, you're known for what you deliver in the end, right? And when people have that experience um, of, oh, the outcome was better because of the way you engaged with my ask. Do, do you guys do some kind of a process um, after a project where you review and discuss uh, what went right and how to work better together going forward? What we do have, and actually we, our, our fiscal year just ended, so we're doing this right now. Um, we have a process by which we assess as a marketing team, what we'd accomplished, what worked, what didn't, what we should stop, start and evolve. That's a process that we just completed. And we've created a plan for how we're going to shift some of the things that we do and the way that we do them, because either something didn't work or we don't know if it worked. And so that metrics piece, that measurement piece is something, and, and then the look back as part of that, or as part of the look back actually, is really a piece that is important to get right and important to do better. So one of the ways that we do this, and we, this is something that we did yesterday on this big Zoom call, was my team and all of our vendors, all of the people who we rely on to enable us to execute things like the video people and the freelance writers and the, um, the PR firm and the uh, website people and the digital ad people, we all got on a call together. Each of them talked about what they had achieved for us we talked about the numbers and what we had been able to accomplish through the year and you know how we did compared to what we expected and then we did the okay here's how we're going to pivot and go forward into the future it's a big endeavor to prepare for that and to do that we do it twice a year but it would be also good to do that after a project, after a big project where we say, okay, what could we do better next time? Particularly if it's something we will do again. Yeah, I mean, it, it's gotta, so you just did it yesterday. I mean, it, 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 it leaves people or it must leave people. I wonder if you had this experience that it leaves people feeling a sense of uh, commitment to continuous improvement that it's, it's, of course the data itself is good, but the process also kind of creates an expectation among people that, you know, what we're about is getting better and better and better. And a good example of that is one of the ways that we looked at the numbers yesterday was to compare the cost of each of our tactics. 
the cost to connect to and convert a potential buyer from each of those tactics. So of course the overall costs are very different for different things. So our radio budget is really high and um, our blog budget is really low if you don't think about the time that it takes us to write them, which is right. a whole other thing. But somewhere in the middle, there are other costs. And when you look at the cost per conversion of each of the tactics compared to each other, you know that evens out all the costs. And one of the vendors in the room followed up with a message asking, can we talk about how those costs worked? Because ours looked really high and we want to figure out how we can help you bring them down. So that's a win. Even if it's worth spending more on this particular tactic, the fact that this person came back and said, I don't want to be the most expensive guy in the room. How can I bring my costs down for you? That's a win. Um, okay, there are two more things I want to ask you. One is, I, I, I don't know how much you talk about this publicly, but I, I do want to bring this in. What are the lessons uh, or is there one, I know there's a lot of lessons uh, from yoga that you bring into your work life. When it comes to your ability to master your own day-to-day presence, your own huge workload, leading other people, managing relationships, what does yoga give you? You're a very experienced yoga practitioner. What does yoga give you? It's a really good question. And I think about yoga a lot, particularly when it comes to how I manage people, but also how I manage myself. And of course, um, because I practice yoga every day, the top of my head doesn't blow up off when I look at my task list. That's a good thing. <laughs> Uh, but the, the, and so, you know, everyone thinks of yoga as giving you peace and making you feel calm and helping you to remember to take a deep breath before you ask, answer the really difficult question or before you start the really difficult conversation. And all of those things are really important. And they're the kind of things that I share with my team all the time. One of the things that I think is really interesting about yoga and, um, that I think about when I'm coaching people is that in yoga, we know that the pose that we are in at the moment is probably not executed perfectly and that's okay. But that adjustments to that pose, whether a teacher comes over and adjusts you hands-on or adjusts you by talking to you, which is more popular these days, um, the adjustments that a teacher can give are always welcome and always helpful because in yoga, we want to get better, not so that the pose looks better and not so that we look stronger and we have bigger muscles, but because it's better for your body. Like I do a lot of yoga that addresses my hips, particularly these days when I spend a lot of time sitting in a chair, not walking around going to meetings. And so when I improve my pose, when I adjust myself and wish I had a teacher to do it and move my, my knee or my hip in a different way, I know that three or four or five hours later, it's not gonna hurt. And I know that when I coach someone, when I'm managing them, if I do it in a way that is designed to help them feel better, help them um, achieve more, um, help them be more effective in a pose, in a meeting, in completing a task, 
when I can coach someone the same way that I would coach someone in a yoga studio or when I would coach some coach myself in a yoga practice, I feel like I'm helping to make people better in a way that is only welcome and only um, looking for us all to rise together. So it helps you keep your head from, from blowing off. Uh, it tells you to take a deep breath uh, now and then. But what you're saying, the really profound lesson I want to make sure we capture here is that correction and improvement that you can offer to others is a gift. It's, a, it's something that they should welcome. And of course, not everyone's as good at accepting it, but I guess it helps a lot if the person giving the correction means it that way. I think it helps a lot if the person giving the coaching has for lack of a better term, skin in the game. So if we're in it together, and if I tell you as your yoga teacher, you know, if you moved your knee a little bit to the right, doesn't that feel better? And we're in it together because I'm here to help you feel better. That's my, that's my purpose at this moment. If we're in it together and I say in conversation, well, if you asked me that question this way, I might've heard it better. If we work together to create the process that gets to the point where you want us to be. If we step back and take a breath together and think strategically about where we're going with this project, won't we get better at getting there more efficiently, more effectively, and won't it be more fun? Yeah, and there's something uh, so authentic about that. And uh, certainly uh, the, way, the way that you do it, I know it to be very authentic. Final question, if you had one word of advice for someone who right now they're saying, well, you know, I want to be that indispensable go-to person. Do you have a piece of advice? I would say be proactive about that. Be proactive about seeing opportunity where someone wouldn't have thought of you as the go-to person. As an example, a number of years ago after I joined this firm, I recognized, you know, the firm is about four times as large as it was when I joined it. And I recognized that we did a lot of training. It's an accounting and consulting firm. We did a lot of accounting training. We did a lot of training that people needed for their licenses, but we didn't do a lot of training to help people manage each other better or to help people learn the soft skills or to help people learn how to grow as a leader. And that we really needed a training function. We needed an internal function that would help them to grow in their careers. And in, um, in a moment that I think it was a really important moment in my career, my managing partner recognized that as well and came to me. We had been talking about learning, but he came to me and he said, would you please start a university within the firm? Now, I have no training as a teacher. I never started a university before. I had really no clue about anything about corporate training except for the fact that we had a need and he trusted me. He thought of me as the go-to person. He trusted me to take it on. So I think my best piece of advice is if you see a need, raise your hand. And if you have an opportunity to fill a need that you don't think you know anything about, take a deep breath and figure out how you're going to do it. Because someone thinks of you as a go-to person. You are the person they have come to, and you can probably achieve it. I love it. Janet Kyle Altman, thank you for being a guest on The Indispensable.
Bruce Tolkien, thank you so much for having me. It's always fun to talk. Likewise. Next week, I will be interviewing my old friend, Major General Greg Langell, U.S. Air Force retired, who in his last command was Deputy Commanding General of the Joint Special Operations Command for the United States Armed Forces. If you liked this episode, please subscribe and leave us a review. Any little bit helps to drive us up the charts. You can also follow us on Twitter at goto underscore podcast. That's at goto underscore podcast. You can learn more about goto-ism and the techniques which make indispensable people stand out in their jobs and careers and lives in my new book, The Art of Being Indispensable at Work, available now from Harvard Business Review Press, available wherever books are sold. If you're interested in bulk orders, please check the show notes for more information. And finally, you can learn more about our work at Rainmaker Thinking by visiting us at rainmakerthinking.com, by following me on Twitter, at Bruce Tulgan, or find me on LinkedIn and Facebook at the links in the show notes. Until next time, stay strong and be indispensable at work.